1: Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing especially well today. We have a surprise for everyone.
1: We do. We have a guest, uh, someone who's going to break down a bunch of wide receivers with us, and that is Matt Harmon, writer analyst of YahooSports.com. He's also known for Reception Perception, which you can find on FantasyFootballers.com. Matt, thank you
2: for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, guys! And yeah, I mean, this is obviously the perfect podcast to be talking about uh, wide receivers, as as, as this particular <laughs> team is very much in the news right now for uh, for big wide receiver moves. So I think we will have a lot to talk about, a lot of different angles to unpack here this morning.
0: You you had said you didn't want to spend your an hour on your own podcast trashing the Giants so uh we thought you'd give you time on ours
2: <laughs> I appreciate it yeah I don't want to I don't want to spend an hour trashing the Giants on my own podcast so I'll go on different ones and like spend 15 minutes here 15 minutes there um, I think that's a much healthier way to go about it
1: yeah uh well we we spend quite a bit of time doing that especially over the last couple of weeks uh, so let's start with What has gotten us to really talk about wide receivers? Because about a week ago, we wouldn't have thought wide receiver would be something the Giants would need to think about, but it will be going forward. So let's start with Odell Beckham. Now, I think one thing when you kind of cover a team, and I think is especially true for fans, you kind of lose context around what else is going on league wide, so you kind of overlook some of what is happening on your team. So just as someone who looks at wide receivers more as a whole just tell us how rare odell beckham jr is
2: i mean unbelievably rare which is why this trade is so startling and especially given what they got for him which i know dave gettleman quotes were hitting the twitter timeline this morning and he was pretty much saying it was an offer they couldn't refuse well dave i mean i think you really could have refused uh a mid first round pick the not just the the earliest Brown's third round pick but the the second third round pick that they own this coming year and a box safety who's basically just the downgraded version of the guy you just let walk in free agency. I I think you could probably have have refused that offer but again that's just my opinion. But going back to Odell Beckham, I mean yeah, this is a player that I don't say this for too many players, but he is on a clear Hall of Fame trajectory and I I say this for not many players in the NFL either in terms of wide receivers there are very few guys that I think actually truly dictate coverages you know obviously beyond just your vertical threats who make teams adjust to deep down the field passes that are going to be coming from teams but number one receivers that really dictate I have to double these guys on a decent portion of their routes I have to you know, concede that a player across the field is going to beat me in order for me to stop this player. There's a really I know that terms like double coverage and I mean even people talk about like triple teams, which never happens in the NFL, but because then you really would be conceding yards and points. But people talk about who's going to be double covered at all times, but there's very few guys that in all the years I've studied wide receivers that I've noticed that is a sustainable, you know, game by game, consistent effect. But Odell Beckham's absolutely one of those players and That's just, again, accounting to what he does to the defense without even thinking about what he does as an individual player. Uh, And he's one of the best wide receivers in the game, if not the best. When it comes to separation and route running, I think it's Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham. It's the two standards over the last five years that I've been doing reception perception, which you mentioned off the top, is the wide receiver charting methodology that I came up with where I track – route running, how often each player runs each particular route, how often they get open on each route, how often they get open against different forms of coverages. And, I mean, Beckham is simply pristine. He's elite in these metrics. I mean, he owns the two best success rate versus man coverage scores over the five years that I've been charting back in his rookie season and this past season. So there's, there's really not been any fall off there. And, oh, by the way, he's never finished below the 98th percentile in success rate versus press coverage. So there's pretty much nobody in the NFL – that's better at getting off the line of scrimmage against press coverage than Odell Beckham. I mean, this is a truly rare elite player who makes everything around him better, and it's and it's hard to overstate what a loss it is for the Giants and what a gain it is for the Browns.
0: Yeah, and just to give some people who might not know Matt's work, he was one of the first people to look at Odell Beckham at LSU and say, hey, this kid's going to be something. He broke my methodology. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially early in the NFL, too, before he really even had the catch, you know, and which <laughs> launched him to national media heights that I don't think he ever saw coming, that I don't think any of us really saw coming, no matter no matter how good you thought he was going to be coming out of college. And I did think he was better than prospects like Mike Evans that came out that year that went higher than him. I thought he was pretty much, I mean, right there with, I mean, I, I, a lot of people really like Sammy Watkins, and, and I thought Beckham was right up there, too. And and, you could see it in those early NFL showings that this was a player that was getting open, you know, again, at like the 99th, 100th percentile uh, in terms of success rate versus man coverage. You know, even before he had that big breakout catch, he was a guy that was beating defenders week in, week out, consistently getting separation. And that is who he's been throughout the entirety of his NFL career. I mean, really, the only thing that slows him down is injuries. And that's about it. And quarterback play when it comes to (laughs) the box score.
1: So with that, now we know what the Giants are losing. And obviously, they cannot replace that. Because of how rare that is, you cannot replace Odell Beckham Jr. So let's talk about now what the Giants have left on the roster with what they were left with after the trade and something they added. Uh, So let's dive into Sterling Shepard. He's someone who, I, I mean, I think we all, as people who, Watch and cover the Giants like a lot. Uh, He has that slot outside versatility, not so much going to be a really number one guy. So is there anything that stands out to you in Sterling Shepard's game?
2: Yeah, I really like Sterling Shepard. He's another player that, going back to their college film, I really, really appreciated. Um, He was a player who showed the ability to get open against man coverage. He still has the best success rate versus man coverage score among all prospects that I've charted. So he's definitely another guy that, like Beckham, not in the same level of Beckham, but creates that easy separation, gets, you know, runs really clean routes, is a good all-around pro. And he hasn't necessarily, you know, developed into a star wide receiver, but he's definitely a really good high-end contributor that I like a lot. He's had several good seasons here, again, in a passing offense that I do think has been hampered by bad quarterback play. And he's not just your run-of-the-mill slot receiver, like a Cole Beasley type. I mean, this is a player who going back to his 2018 season in receptor or 2017 season, excuse me, in reception perception, he posted a 56% success rate on nine routes. So, and 70% on the post route. So he is a player who can get vertical, can get loose and make bigger plays. He also is really strong at the catch point. I think that's probably the underrated part of his game is that not only is he a guy that gets open with clean route running, but he's a guy who finishes up there with like an 81% contested catch score. And, and that's very good for a guy that, isn't one of these big hulking receivers. Again, he has the aspects of timing, uh, when to get his hands up there to win the ball in the air, how to just shield off defenders despite not having the biggest frame. You know, he he profiled very similarly in terms of a contested catch receiver to a guy like Michael Thomas. And again, I mean, their frames could not be any more different. So it really is all about technique with with a player like Sterling Shepard. And that's why I think, you know, the Giants aren't Totally sunk at the wide receiver position with him still there. I do think he is an ascending young player that maybe can take another step and be a guy who handles 120 to 125 targets now, um, and, and that's not so bad if you're someone that really wants to see him produce. But the question really is for the Giants: are is how how are they going to manufacture passing production outside the numbers? You know, how are they going to manufacture more downfield passing? Because again, that's not really the epicenter of Sterling Shepard's game. He's more of that clean route runner over the middle. And I hope they do continue to use him in the slot more outside just on occasion, because that really is the strength of his game. I think there is a lot more questions beyond Sterling Shepard in the Giants passing game, who, who, again, I do think is a really, really good young player that I hope we don't get you know, too caught up in, in trashing the Giants and not remembering that this is still a very good young player. You
0: mentioned, how important his technique was now. Is there anything technique wise or anything like that that you see in his uh, game as a slot receiver that translates to potentially more reps on the outside because the giants just signed someone who plays the slot even more, which we'll get into golden Tate in a minute. But I just wanted to see if you think shepherd has any untapped upside on, as a true wide receiver.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. Again, I do think that his strength is what he does in the slot, what he does over the middle of the field. So that would be where I consider him, you know, to be used at his most optimal point. But he hasn't been a player that's been a total schlub as a guy against press coverage. In fact, in 2016, he had a 76% success rate versus press coverage. Back in 2017, he was right around 67%. So those are both above league average scores, so I, I don't think he is a Randall Cobb type player who like if you played him on the outside is just absolutely not going to work someone like a Jamison Crowder who's exclusively a slot receiver I think he can get open against outside man coverage corners because he is that really good detailed route runner most of his career has been as a slot receiver which is why I think most people will say that the signing of Golden Tate does feel redundant. It feels like they already have that player. But I think both of these guys can take some snaps outside at flanker. Really what the Giants will need is the split end X receiver. You know, Beckham even at different points of his time was playing a lot of flanker instead of playing the X receiver position, which helps you get that free release helps you face less press coverage on a route to route basis. So they're losing just an outside receiver in general, and they might have these two guys as options to step up at the flanker position. Really what I think they'll be looking at in the draft, especially is who is that guy that we can get as a commanding outside threat. And and honestly, the the question though, that, that comes to my mind, and this, this comes down to the, the brass tacks of, do you really think Dave Gettleman has a plan? I mean, he insists that he has a plan, uh, but it looks like right now they're collecting a lot of over-the-middle weapons, a lot of guys that are going to be used on short passes. Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, whether we think they can, especially Shepard more so than Tate, I think can be more successful outside, can be a guy who can get down the field a little bit. But most of his downfield success has come out of the slot. So I don't know that you're necessarily going to be wanting to run Sterling Shepard on post and nine routes coming off the, coming off the outside. So Are they just conceding the fact that Eli Manning at this point, even though they still think he's good, which I I don't share that opinion, but Dave clearly does. (laughs) Are they just going to concede the fact that even though we still like him, he's not an outside-the-numbers passer. He's not a downfield passer. Are they even going to look at that need in the draft? I don't know because right now they have three weapons who do excel over the middle of the field in Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate. And is that just going to be the focal point of the offense? And of course, Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield as a good short area receiver too. I don't know. They might not see the same need for an outside receiver that we did.
1: Yeah. It's possibly they might be okay within a dot of, like five this season and that just might be how the offense goes so we you brought up golden tate a little bit Let, let's dive into him because even if they're not redundant of tate and Shepard, i think a lot of their strengths do overlap and part of that i think we've brought up is the possibility of as much as you said and we also like sterling shepherd that he's in the last year of his rookie deal he might not even be a giant in 2019 we don't know yeah. that so let's get into golden tate what uh, you've seen from him over his career i know he didn't really fit super well with the eagles when they tried to work him into the offense so what is he right now at this point in his career
2: yeah this kind of got on my radar a little bit when um my colleague therese paler tweeted out before free agency that a guy like golden tate or adam humphreys is going to be asking for 10 to 14 million dollars per year um, on the open market and people really trash that and maybe it's because a lot of people don't know who Adam Humphreys is and maybe that was main, mainly the bat the backlash of the tweet but for Golden Tate I mean obviously he, his run with the Eagles didn't work out at all I thought that was a weird trade for the Eagles because they clearly needed a vertical threat not another slot receiver I mean you could, you could again you could come back to the same point that we just made with the Giants and I think Nelson Aguilar and Golden Tate a lot of their strengths overlap So it it was a confusing trade at the time. And often we see wide receivers, outside of Amari Cooper, who was definitely uh, a bit of an exception to this rule, wide receivers don't necessarily switch teams in the middle of the season or even late in training camp and then immediately become productive with their new team. It's a lot to figure out, especially if you have no familiarity with the quarterback. I know, by the way, especially if that quarterback is also in flux with injuries as he was in Philadelphia. Because I think what people forget about is Golden Tate, Not only was he a good player in 2017, but he was still on pace for a great season uh, in Detroit before they oddly just shipped him out. He was on pace for 100 catches, over 1,100 yards. He was averaging more yards per game than at any other point in his Detroit career, So, or since 2014, his first season there. So to me, I thought that Tate got a little bit disrespected on the open market. I mean, he ended up with a good deal from the Giants, but he's a guy that even though he's 30 years old, he can still really contribute. Um, and I, I again, I hope that the shade that's being thrown onto the Giants for the weird signing that is Golden Tate because of the archetype of player that he is overlaps to the archetype player that Shirley Shepard is doesn't discount for the fact that Tate, I think, is still a really good player who just kind of has a nasty stink on him right now because things didn't go well in Philly. But if we rewind this you know to back in September, October, nobody's talking about Golden Tate as a guy who's about to fall off. So to me I think that he again he's not he's not the guy that I prefer to be on the outside. I'd prefer that to be Sterling Shepard if one of these two is going to move to that flanker position, but he is still a guy that I really do think can play. Um but I think in a you know not necessarily look taking the rest of the situation into context is a good signing for any team.
0: Yeah, the the Giants do have a couple guys who might be able to play that X receiver position. Uh they gave an origi- a $2 million original round tender, which wound up being causing some confusion because it was a first-round pick, to Corey Coleman. And overnight, they re-signed Cody Lattimore. So should we care about either of those two guys?
2: Probably not. I definitely don't care about Cody Lattimore at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's a guy who is... People really liked him coming out of college. I was one of them. I thought this this comparison sounds bad now because he also didn't turn out to be a good pro. But back in you know 2014 or 2013, you know Michael Floyd looked like he was going to be a really good NFL player, and I thought Cody Latimer looked exactly like Michael Floyd in his college tape. And again, neither one of these guys have ended up being good NFL players, so maybe that tells you something. But their strengths right. did overlap. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess so. Um, but. Like in terms of Cody Latimer, he's a guy that people really like coming out of college. But the only thing he really ever developed was, you know, a lot of training camp hype and good special teams play. So by the time that he's out there as the third receiver for the Giants playing that X receiver spot, they're just kind of wasting, you know, a spot on on offense. There's really nothing that Latimer is bringing to the table um, as an actual receiver, especially when you're such an 11 personnel heavy team. Now, I think there is a case to be made that the X receiver position is a little overrated or you can get around not having a great player there. If you think back to Pat Shermer's offense in 2017 with the Minnesota Vikings, they primarily ran through a flanker wide receiver in Stephon Diggs and a big slot receiver in Adam Thielen. And I think that, you know, going into 2018, it was very fair to say that you know, Odell Beckham was their plus version of Stefan Diggs. I mean, I love Stephon Diggs, but Odell Beckham's obviously a bit of a better <laughs> player. So he's their plus version of that guy. And then Sterling Shepard would sort of develop into their Adam Thielen. And even Evan Ingram could chip in doing some of the things that Adam Thielen did as well. And they were really just not going to be all kind of concerned about the extra receiver position, just like Minnesota really wasn't running out michael floyd who we're just talking about you know back in that season or a guy like laquan treadwell who nobody really has hope for developing into a good pro at this point so i think that there's a reason there's a bit of an maybe they can do a downgraded version they could have been the upgraded version of that now they're definitely going to be the downgraded version of that with tate and shepherd as the slot and flanker um and really just not be all that worried about that extra receiver position but i think you got to have something out there Um, You can't just have Cody Latimer again. Maybe that's Corey Coleman. But his only real showing as an ex-receiver did come uh, with the Cleveland Browns, and it was an awful showing. I mean, his rookie year is one of the worst ever that I have in reception perception history. Um, He's down there, you know, below uh, 60% success rate versus man coverage. You know, just not a guy that really showed – a lot of you know a knack for the position so maybe he takes some massive leap uh but i would be super skeptical about that and I, sur- I, but i'm i'm at least open to the idea of caring about a Corey coleman you know bounce back to being at least a contributor um, i'm not holding out hope that he's going to be a star but i think they, they have to address that at least a little bit in the nfl draft but again the giants might disagree with me on that notion I kind of so, have a feeling they disagree with all of us. <laughs> that is clear. That is very clear.
1: So before we get into some of the the draft guys that might have stood out to you, I want to talk to you about a little bit of your philosophy you have in grading some of these wide receivers and just other pass catchers. And specifically, I want to talk about your look on drops. I know this is something you've talked about in the past, and it's it's something I agree with you with. And it's something that I think at times over the past know, two, three years. There have been Giants fans who have been disappointed in Beckham and Sterling Shepard this year, Evan Ingram especially this year, about how many drops they have. But uh, can you just kind of walk us through how you view drops and what it actually means just in the, the bubble of of valuing what a receiver does?
2: Yeah, so I wrote a piece on my website com about wide receiver drops and negativity bias. And if anybody's interested in kind of reading my full thoughts, they can find that there. Just Google search it. You'll be, you'll be able to figure it out. And I think that one thing that's interesting to me is that, like, again, it comes back to that negativity bias. And Beckham's actually a great example because you mentioned this. You know, someone tweeted to me when I was, ta- when I was tweeting out these great reception perception stats about Odell Beckham, about how much separation he gets. Somebody replied, um, you know, he drops too many easy passes. And I, I looked it up. He had three drops all of last year. Like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, what a what a, what an outrageous number. I know in, in previous years, he's maybe been up there at like eight or something. But again, think about that in the grand scheme of all the greatness that Odell Beckham brings. You know, if he's a guy who's going to be targeted 150, 160 times, something like that, yeah, he's going to drop passes. It's just a reality of playing the position. Um, I, I think that one thing... Again, it is that negativity bias is that we see the drop, especially from a great player. And we have that very visceral negative reaction. And human beings just tend to emphasize negative events more so than positive events. That's just a typical something that you're going to find reading any sort of brain science. And I think that 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 negativity bias sticks with us when we see those drops. But we categorize those in a much different way than we categorize, you know, a great curl route that's run on a second down that gets you a first down you know you're not going to have as great of a positive reaction to just your run-of-the-mill play and even take it away from just a catch like Odell Beckham running a, a tremendous route that draws two defenders yeah and he doesn't get the ball thrown his way but somebody else does your brain is obviously not crediting Beckham with that because you don't see it happen I mean it happens on the football field but you don't watch it on the Sunday and, and process it all at that same time. But if they target Beckham on a slant route, you know, and he drops it or whatever, your brain is going to immediately take that negative event and really it's going to sit with you. So I tend to try to look beyond what a wide receiver does beyond just when they're getting targeted. And that leads you to really underemphasize drops. Like for some players that people will bring up who drop the ball too much. I mean, everybody brings up Ted Ginn, but then you fail to mention that Ted Ginn has made a positive impact on the last two offenses that he's been on. In Carolina, he was a good player. In New Orleans, he's been a good player, too. Um, Despite the fact that he drops the ball, he brings verifiable, rare, deep game ability that not everybody brings. And other players that people bring up, too, you know, you'll bring up Greg Little or someone like that. Well, Greg Little, you know, the the reason that he washed out of the league is because not only did he drop the ball, but he couldn't do anything else to make his drops worth living with. I, I think somebody like an Odell Beckham, like a Ted Ginn to a much lesser extent, they do something beyond the drops to make those drops, those negative plays worth living with. And I would just much rather emphasize what a player can do over what they can't do.
1: Awesome. So while we get to that, let's talk about some things that players can do. And as we look to the draft, I'm not sure if this is, it's not a you know, strong elite wide receiver class. But I think through some of these players, there's, you know, a decent amount of depth and all of them probably bring something that can contribute to an NFL offense. So as you've been going through your scouting process through these receivers, who has stood out to you uh, so far?
2: Yeah, one guy that I was... So one thing I'm I'm really focusing on, you mentioned with drops. Another thing that I've really honed in on at the wide receiver position is not necessarily... You know, giving players pass/fail grades on you know some sort of archaic NFL standard of what we think players should be able to do and what they shouldn't do, but really properly categorizing them into roles. I've mentioned a ton on this podcast the difference between the X receiver, the flanker, and the slot receiver. And I think that some of these players that I haven't necessarily been all that high on, like a Juju Smith-Schuster, is a great example. Coming out of college, you know, he was a player who exclusively played on the outside lined up on one side of the field. And I didn't think that he had the vertical ability, the necess- like the great route running to get off press coverage, to really hack it as an outside receiver in the NFL. But what I failed to realize was, or what I failed to do was be more imaginative with the role that he could be in. Um, and I think that that was some, and again, we've seen him be a totally different player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's been that big slot receiver flanker guy not at all the position that he played at USC. So I think that's one thing as I'm watching these guys. I'm almost more concerned with what role are they going to play? Where are they going to fit within the context of that role more so than just who is good as who is bad, who is bad. And one player that I've immediately been drawn to from that perspective is Nikhil Harry out of Arizona state, because I think he shares a lot of similarities to Juju Smith-Schuster. I think if you're going to draft Nikhil Harry, you're going to want to use him as a big slot receiver. You're going to want to use him as a flanker, you know, very much like, Smith Schuster, or even like later career, Larry Fitzgerald, the way they've used him is almost like a pseudo tight end in a way. I think that Harry could be a good player. That, that doesn't necessarily fit with the giants, what they need. As we're mentioning, they're kind of overstocked with slot receivers at this point. Or but it he's actually guy, fits exactly what they need, which is yeah. another <laughs> slot receiver. Let's keep that a dot down, man. Yeah. As like you said, like, let's keep it under four. Uh, be totally in the Gabbard zone. Um, I think that, that, that he's someone that I'm really drawn to in that way. Um, because I don't necessarily think he has the ability versus press coverage to get off outside defenders, but I do think he is tough. I think he's rugged over the middle. I think he separates really well against nickel corners, against uh, linebackers, and, again, that's what we've seen a lot of what Smith Schuster, Schuster has done. He's been good after the catch. He's been hard to take down in that in that fashion, and he's also been good at the catch point, and those are two verifiable strengths that Harry has. Now, if we're looking at receivers – that the Giants probably need to look at. I think a lot of people will point to DK Metcalf as that type of guy who can be that big X receiver, and I think that's certainly possible. He needs to do a lot of development in terms of just running, you know, more routes than you necessarily think. But also there's a lot of ways that you could use a player like that. You know, think of how the uh, Cleveland – nobody wants to praise a Hugh Jackson team ever, and I, I don't want to either, but I think there's a lot of credit that you can give them For how they use Josh Gordon coming out of the NFL, if you're not playing for three years, they drop him into a position where they don't necessarily just throw him out as the X receiver, but they use him as a flanker. They move him around the formation. And, you know, it's not like Josh Gordon was, you know, at the peak of route running and technique after spending three years away from football. And is almost like a very raw player at that point. I think that's where DK Metcalf is at this point in his career. You can find ways to use these receivers if you want to create vertical production, just have them run slants, curls, and nine routes and posts, and that's about it. So you're gonna be limited in terms of what you can ask a player like that to do. But I do think there's a lot of value in a big play ability, in a big play receiver like that. And and lastly, another guy who's really caught my eye is Hakeem Butler. And Butler, I do think of all these receivers in this draft, might have – he definitely has drop problems that I think people need to get over because, to me, when I look at him, despite the fact that he's a big hulking receiver, guy gets off the line of scrimmage very well. I think if the Giants are looking for a receiver who they want to get off press coverage and not the same way but in a similar fashion to how how Odell used to do it, I think that Hakeem Butler is probably at this point – my favorite to do that. I think both the Giants and the Steelers, two guys who have traded away these top-end number one receivers, I think they'll both be looking at Butler, you know, towards the early second round for the Giants or uh, the early, the late first round for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, that this is the type of guy that I think could maybe develop into a number one receiver.
0: Butler would have to appeal to Dave Gettleman, who has said multiple times that he believes that Football is a big man's game, and yeah. wide receivers don't get much bigger than Hakeem Butler.
2: Well, look at the two players, and I—I I hated this draft. You people might know who, who follow me that I—I like to say I'm in a complicated relationship with the Carolina Panthers. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what you guys are what you guys are living through with Dave Gettleman right now—been uh, there, you know. I—I'm I, not surprised by—I mean, I'm surprised by the Odo Beckham trade, but I'm not surprised that. Uh, the football world has seemed to turn against Dave Gettleman because I th- think that his tenure in Carolina left a lot to be desired. And his approach to the wide receiver position was 100% that way. I mean, he went back-to-back back with Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches, who you know are these slow, lumbering, lack-of-separation receivers. I think Funches got better throughout the course of his career, whereas Kelvin Benjamin got worse. Um, and I actually do think Devin Funches is – an interesting signing for the for the Indianapolis Colts on a one year deal. I mean, they paid him a lot of money, but it's a one year deal. Who cares? But I, I think that he went back to back with those big hulking receivers, and maybe we see him kind of run that back here with a player like Hakeem Butler, as you mentioned. Clearly, is a guy who thinks that football is a big man's game. I mean, yeah, he would that would fit within the way he's drafted wide receivers at least in Carolina.
0: Has anybody else really caught your eye yet? I mean, Dan and I each have guys that we like uh, personally. I like Kelvin Kelvin Harmon out of. NC State. Dan likes uh, JJ whiteside as Stanford, and he has a metric he likes to use for wide receivers, which he calls target yards added. And well, mm-hmm. the king of that is pretty much Andy Isabella.
2: Yeah, yeah, Isabella is really interesting. Obviously, I think he's a, he's a player that could be that mid-round sleeper. Uh, the two guys you mentioned um with our, our Sega whiteside and uh, Kelvin Harmon, I think both those guys actually share similar questions, which is just you know, are they true separators? And because I think both of those guys, unlike a player like Nikhil Harry, their strength, their, their strengths are best suited for the outside. I don't think they necessarily, like you can't necessarily just say every receiver who struggles to get open on the outside, you have to move him into the slot. I think there's, there's a mindset of physicality that I think Harry has to his game that I definitely think translates to the inside. Now, our Sega Whiteside, especially, he's a guy who, is consistently in contested catch situations. Um, uh, I think you you do see some hints of technique, but he definitely – that's he, play, he plays almost like he's a smaller receiver at releasing from the line of scrimmage, but then obviously plays like a big receiver when he gets to the catch point. So that's interesting to me. I think that there is some ability to hone that instinct that he has to be a, a separating wide receiver – and maybe he's a guy like a Mike Williams who I thought to me coming out of the draft a couple of years ago, people saw him consistently in contested catch situations, but you know, they necess- then they assumed that he doesn't separate. And no, of course, Mike Williams separation ability is not up there with the, the top of the league, but he separates just good enough to max also then have a maximizing trait as a contested catch wide receiver. I think that's sort of the discounted version of what you could get with the player, like J.J. Arzaga Whiteside, or maybe even Kelvin Harmon. Although to me, he profiles more as your typical possession receiver. And maybe if the Giants are looking for a wide receiver who is going to play on the outside but isn't a vertical threat, maybe Harmon is in in that regard. Uh, that that type of player. And of course, obviously, we can't discount the fact that he has a great name. I mean, come yeah. on, give me a break.
0: All name team this year, <laughs> right there with Greedy Williams and Rocky Sin. Exactly.
1: All right, Matt, I think that's all we have for you. So thank you so much for joining us and let everyone who's listening know where they can uh, find you and your work.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Again, This really fun team to kind of dissect not just what's going on on their depth chart with wide receiver position, but just kind of where the league is at as a whole with this position group. And of course I'm very biased because I'm so fascinated by it because of course I do study uh, wide receivers with the reception perception methodology. If you wanna check that out, the best way to do is just go on Twitter and use the hashtag reception perception. You can find the graphs, the charts, the data that I'm putting out there and links to find it where where you can purchase access to the data through the fantasy footballers ultimate draft kit. And if you, while you're on Twitter, if you want to follow me, I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB.
1: All right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. You guys can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. If you follow our work on Big Blue View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. So thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise.
2: Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do.